DJ Thomas, and you're listening to Frequency Interrupted. And Kate Kapoor, how are you, sir? I'm exhausted. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, keeping it honest. I love it. I love it, man. I'm great. Um, so um, a mutual friend of ours introduced us, um, Paul Hurst, and he actually grew up with me way over here in Louisiana and was in the uh, law school with you, I'm assuming, how he met you or, you know, or, or maybe work some cases with you. And he said, man, you need to connect with this guy. He's, he's very interesting. He has a lot of experience and he's a cool dude. So, man, let's just get rolling. Tell me about, I know, I mean, let's just hear your, your layout, bro, because you've been, a, you've been a police officer in New York City and now you're a trial attorney and a partner of the firm. So just tell me how that starts out in the transition of it. I mean, I'll give you, I guess, because we're limited on time, I'll give you, you know, the short version of it. Uh, yeah. I was in the police academy and in 2011, I got hired right out of college. I was 21 years old in the NYPD police academy. And uh, I, I was a rookie cop in the projects, walking the foot post, you know, go, going up and down buildings. I mean, chasing after alleged, right, alleged perpetrators. And uh, I did all that. And then while I was doing it, I said, there has to be more. I wanted to do more. And um, so I said, you know, law enforcement to lawyer, it's it's should be somewhat of a smoother transition, right? And I'm bringing life experience. And I knew someone who was doing it. So I said, let me look into this. So I looked into it. I, I take the LSAT. Uh, I get what I get. I get into a few schools. I go into the school that uh, was the right fit and also gave me a lot of money. And that was Brooklyn Law School, which... No regrets. I would do it all over again if I had to. People say they hate law school. I love law school. <laughs> um, I went part-time at night and I uh, finished in three and a half years. When I graduated, I had a job lined up with the New York City Law Department and I defended the city. Now, I was a cop. Now I'm defending cops in lawsuits, right? Yeah. So very rewarding, great experience, great trial experience, um, great litigation experience. And then I was approached by a judge to come to a private firm. I wasn't even looking for a job at the time. People don't even know. Most people who are not close to me don't even know this story. I was not looking for a job. I was not looking to leave the law department. I was approached by a judge to go to a firm. And um, I even said, no, I said, I'm not interested. They said, she said, just go talk to the firm. You never know. So I went and talked. I said, you know, I'll do an interview out of formality, right? Out of respect for the judge. Right. And um, I went to the firm. I was there. My first interview, I was there for three hours. So Needless to say, we hit it off. Yeah. And um, it was a matrimonial law firm. Um, the judge had asked me, like, you know, what kind of law do you want to practice uh, long term? I said, I want to do matrimonial law. She goes, really? She goes, I want to be a matrimonial judge. I said, wow, okay. She's like, I'm going to connect you to a firm. That's how, uh, you know, the old firm and I connected. Okay. And um, when I was at the interview, I still remember... Uh, they uh, they asked me like where else are you interviewing? I said I'm not interviewing anywhere else. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm here as as a courtesy to the judge. Uh, I think what you have here is great, but I'm really not looking for a job. I said, but why don't you tell me what what why is there an opening here, right? Because you have to think about a firm's retention rate, right? What, yeah. what the people are leaving. So they said we're actually not looking for anyone. We're also doing this. <laughs> so we just hit it off. Um, that was July of 2019, you know, just to put things into perspective, July, 2011 is when I started the police Academy, April, 2018 is when I left the police department. Um, and then 
July 2019 is when I started at my old firm. That firm um, dissolved at the end of 2020, and the partners went their separate ways. And two of the partners, they asked me to join them, and they told me they're making me a partner. So I said, wow, it's like, that's, I'm very fortunate. Like, well, you know, you, you worked hard. And in your interview, when we asked you, what, what's your long-term goal, your five-year plan, you told us that you wanted your name on the door. So we're putting your name on the door. So that's how the firm is called Cohen Stein Kapoor LLP. And uh, I got what I wanted a lot sooner than I had ever imagined that I would have, you know, after graduating law school. Uh, but very fortunate position to be in, right? I work hard, don't get me wrong, work hard, represent my clients to the best of my ability. Um, but I'm in a very fortunate position. Not a lot, not a lot of law school graduates can say that three, four years out of law school. No, but I mean, I mean, hey, dude, I mean, work ethics is everything. And I'm mean, I'm sure you've proven that for you know, for that to even do first you get the position and then move on to be a partner now at the firm. That's amazing. Well, yeah. like so how do you transition? Tell me this, because I feel like there's there's that's a very, very small percentile of people who transition from law enforcement to practicing law. You know, <laughs> like so tell me what that transition is like. So being on the my wife is a um, police officer as well. So I know, you know, I know the layout, but being being a police officer and being on that side of it and then now transitioning to the other side of it, defending those like. So how does that work? Um. Well, look, a lot of it, when it comes to law itself, a lot of it depends on what kind of law you practice, right? If I was doing criminal defense, I would literally be on the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't do criminal defense. I do family law. I do divorce, but, prenups, hey, custody. Yeah, but, but dude, most domestics are all based around that, right? Right. Yeah. So I was in the NYPD for seven years. You know, that's seven years of life experience I bring into a divorce case where there's domestic violence. I mean, there is no law school graduate who went from college to law school can, uh, you know, fill in those shoes of life experience. Now they have their own life experience, right? It may be better. It may be worse. I don't know, but I, I have very unique life experience that I bring into a case and clients respect it and clients seek me out because of it. So it's actually the NYPD has been like a huge asset to me. Yeah. And people always ask me like, you know, do you like, did you like being a cop considering what happened with the, you know, in 2020 and I was going to bring that up too here in a minute. So, yeah. Yeah. I said, I, I love being a cop. No regrets. I would do it all over again, you know? Um, but I wanted a little bit more out of life and, uh, I still have friends. A lot. Of, I have friends that are deputy inspectors, captains, chiefs, and, uh, I'd stay in touch with them. Like I'll go get dinner with them. You know, you never forget who, where you come from. Right. Yeah. And, uh, just because I'm a lawyer in Manhattan now doesn't mean I'm any better than them. Right. Um, we're, we're still good friends. Um, we help each other out. Cops call me all the time with issues and, you know, I, I direct them into the right place. Right. If I can't help them, I find them someone who can, I always say, uh, people ask me what kind of law do you practice? I, I always tell them I do family law, but I said, you can contact me for anything. And if I can't help you, I'll find someone who can. Um, so I don't know if you ever watched the show, Ray Donovan. Dude, that's my favorite fucking show. Man. Yeah. He's a, he's a fixer, right? <laughs> yes. He's he's a fixer. A, yes. Yes. So I have people that literally reach out to me for issues like that. And I, you know, I like, I like to joke with my friends. I'm like, listen, man, I'm like, I'm like the Ray Donovan of lawyers in New York city. I'm not, I'm not, but that's the reputation I'm slowly developing Yeah. so that people uh, feel comfortable 
and confident to reach out to me for anything that they need. And it's, it's picking up, you know, that's how I, I get cases like that, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the prime, like, that's what you want to be is counsel, right? Someone who's trusted, no matter what the issue is. Right. It's like, you know what? Let me call Ankit. He's that guy. He's going to know the answer. Yeah. I have someone in my life uh, uh, who is a very well-known person here in Manhattan and also in like um, the, the sports industry. And he always reaches out to me. And I always tell him, I said, I said, you are 40 years older than me. And he's like, yeah, but he's like, you know, you, I know I can count on you. So, you know, when it comes to like achieving quote unquote success, right? Like my type of success, everyone has a different level of success or a different definition of success rather. Like if, if you want to do what I'm doing or what I've done, then uh, one, you have to be available. And two, you have to be able to solve problems. Yeah. Right. Those are the two things that I've, that uh, I, I take uh, tremendous pride in. Yeah. Well, I mean, so what, so how do you get into backtrack, like prequel to that? Like, how do you get into being a cop? Like, so what is that? How's that? What's that layout? <laughs> what's that story? What do you mean? Like, why did I become a cop? I mean, why? Like, uh, what were you like in high school? What, you know, going into college? Like, so what made you choose that route? Honestly, I grew up in the suburbs of New York City where cops make like $200,000. So I said, the fuck am I going to go to college and worry about a 4.0 yeah. when I can sign up for a test, hopefully get a high enough score and work where I grew up. And uh, I get to carry a badge and a gun and wear a vest and, and look cool and do cool. You know, it was like an immature way of thinking when I was in high school. Yeah. But that's what transpired. Um, that inspired me to become a, a, a police officer. And uh, like, like I said, as soon as I graduated uh, college, it was early 2011 in the middle of the great recession, my friends didn't have jobs and careers. And here I was given an opportunity to have a career right out of college. Yeah. And I just couldn't say no. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, so like, so what was it like? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Again, like, you know, seeing the police force, what they've been through in the, in the past, you know, few years and all the bullshit they've gone through, you know, and I, and everyone not to get on, like, definitely not to go on like a far right or far left political conversation, but more just your brothers in arms, you know, seeing the shit that they've gone through in the past few years and getting ridiculed over every single thing. I mean, there's good, there's good cops and there's bad cops, man, but I know that there's, you know, way more good ones than there are bad ones. Yeah, of course. You know, the, the problem is, is there's a I, I read a quote. They said that, um, yeah, it's true that there's a there's a bad there's this bad apple in every tree. Right. Yeah. But sometimes one bad apple spoils a whole tree, which I, I think it, the quote was something like that. But you get my uh, yeah. you, you get the, the metaphor. They write the concept. And, um, you know, it's it's of course, it's true that ninety nine percent of cops are good and they their intentions are good and they want to do good and they want to make a difference and then you have the one percent like uh like the george floyd situation yeah. up in minnesota like you know something like that a, a cop doing something like that on somebody's uh uh knee to someone's back for that long i mean it's just inexcusable no matter how much you know republican you are no matter yeah. how much right wing or pro law enforcement pro pro military you are there's a difference between right and wrong right <laughs> so what i you know it was unfortunate what a lot of the things that i saw in 2020 both for both 
um, cops and also from the media, right? They inflamed, uh, they inflamed the narrative and you had riots. I mean, I remember I lived in Manhattan throughout the pandemic, right? Yeah. And, and all these riots were during the pandemic and Madison Avenue, which is like the shopping hub in New York City, was totally boarded up. And I'm a, I live on the Upper East Side. So a lot of the the high-end luxury stores are on the Upper East Side because um, Upper East Side residents are, have money and they can shop. You know, all, all, all Upper East Side residents have money except me, right? I'm living <laughs> in some small apartment, but these people have money to spend. So that's why those stores are on Madison Avenue in, in my neighborhood, but they're all boarded up. And I was like, this is not the New York City that I know. And I always wanted to live in New York City long term. But since the pandemic, my mind has totally changed. And I said, you know what? I would um, I would move to the suburbs at some point, you know, when I have a family. Yeah. Which I don't right now. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, seeing that, knowing that and what's going on, like, so what's your I mean, what's your opinion or your, you know, like your take on resolve for this, you know, like because being being in law enforcement for you said seven years, right? Being being in there that long and you know seeing the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything that is within the department, you know how you know how people operate. What's your opinion on the the public's take of you know police officers and what really happens? I mean, when you say the public's take on a, on police officers, you, it really depends on the city you're in, right, right? Right. I guess. Well, I mean, uh, we've seen it more in you know like huge metro areas where it's been you know there's been so much more pushback. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But in those metro areas, from what I've the statistics that I read that I've read. Yeah. OK. Now, these are these are numbers. And I always say you can't argue with numbers. A lot of the main cities that were going to uh, that had that were defunding police departments mm-hmm. and now refunding them because crime is going up. So some of the um, some of the their proposals or the solutions that they recommended are not feasible. And just just objectively looking, you know, even if I wasn't a police, an ex police officer, just objectively looking, it's just not a realistic way to solve a problem. Now, when I was in the police department, we had a program called the um, uh, it was called neighborhood. It was NCO program, neighborhood coordination officers program. And I helped implement that in, in a couple of precincts where you're walking into your local stores as a police officer, introducing yourself, making friends um, with, with people in, in like the zone that you're supposed to patrol. Yeah. And that actually brought down crime, right? There's, so there's different approaches to take, uh, but the more the radical approaches that we see, I, I, I don't think that it's, it's that effective, right? But I have my own views because of my background, whereas someone who... Uh, who does not have a, a ton of knowledge about policing and law enforcement, yeah. they're not going to have that view, and which is what frustrate, frustrates cops, right? It's like, why don't you put on a vest, throw on a badge and a gun, and walk, ar- and walk around the neighborhood that I'm walking around in, and you tell me how it works out for you, yeah. okay? You tell me how you would make that split-second decision, yeah. right? I've had many instances where I had to pull out my gun, and I've never had to shoot anyone. Yeah. Okay. But I've, there, there could have been one of those incidents where I shot. I don't know what would have happened to me. Right. <laughs> I'm, and I'm still licensed to carry a firearm in New York State. Con- I have a concealed and carry permit. And 
I'm usually very hesitant to carry my gun in New York City because God forbid something happens, right, where I have to use it. I'm afraid that the media is going to turn around the narrative on me yeah. and say former NYPD turned attorney shoots, blah, blah, blah. And I, I don't want to be part of that statistic. And, you know, as, a, as, an, as an attorney, I, I definitely don't want to lose my license. Right. right. Um, so I don't want to be scrutinized for um, for for doing, you know, obviously each situation is different. Right. If I think what I did was right and, and lawful doesn't mean um, it's going to be uh, perceived in the correct way morally on television yeah. <laughs> because again with these videos that you see with cops you only you don't see the beginning of the interaction that's what people don't understand you never see the beginning of the interaction now of course that doesn't mean that the end should be a death sentence for the alleged perpetrator i don't agree with that either okay um i watched a shannon sharp program and uh you know who shannon sharp is right he's i a, do not I have no idea he's a retired football player but he okay. made a very good point and i actually agree with it he's like He's like, you know, police officers always say, like, don't resist and there won't be a problem. Right. He said, well, just because I did just because somebody resisted doesn't mean they have to end up dead. Right. Yeah. Resistance, re resisting arrest shouldn't end up in a death sentence. And I agree with that. Yeah, I just, yeah. Uh, And I'm sure most people, most rational people agree with it, including police officers. But there there's just some situations that get totally out of hand. Um and it, it it ends up in a tragedy yeah. and you know i think whoever is at fault should you know should um face consequences to be honest with you right um because there are times that police officers are not they, they are at fault and it's not it's not a popular opinion for me to say that like if my police officer friends were listening to this you know they wouldn't be too happy but yeah. hey, i'm just telling i'm just saying things from an objective point of view now, split-second decisions, they're not easy, okay? Dealing with EDPs, emotionally disturbed persons, is not easy, okay? That requires special training, and uh, it, it requires much more than it requires compassion, sympathy, empathy, right? And someone who's uh, 22, 21, 22 years old, coming from Suffolk County, New York, who grew up... Um, even like myself grew up in a predominantly like white neighborhood. You come and you put me on, on a midnight shift in bed style. It's a culture shock. Right. So I, I think now there is in, in the police Academy, there's some sort of education with cultures, right? Cause you don't want it to be a culture shock yeah. when you, when, when <laughs> yeah, you, when you sure. place like this young kid into a, into, into these neighborhoods. So there's a, you know, look, it's, it's not so black and white, you know, policing is not so black and white. And, uh, there's so many moving parts, different elements. It matters uh, who, who, who the leader is, what programs they have, um, the city you're talking about, the demographic you're talking about, right? The training. That's, hey, that's another thing I wanted to get before. Yeah. That's why this show is called Frequency Interrupters. I'm probably going to interrupt you. I'm sorry. But that, before I forget, let's talk about that because there's so many people across the board. I mean, can I tell you how many overweight, obese officers that are, you know, on patrol that cannot possibly do what they may need to do because they're out of shape or, you know, or people that, you know, or the fact that most of these departments don't have enough money to properly train, you know, their employees or maybe to continue to train them every year, not just initially, you know, getting the certifications and putting them on the street. What's your opinion on that? I mean, look, personally, 
I'm very much into health and fitness. Yeah, me too. That's why I asked you. (laughs) Yeah. And each police precinct has a gym. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what people know or don't know. Newsflash in the NYPD. I don't know a single precinct that does not have a gym. Okay. And this is not a gym with a treadmill and elliptical and a pull-up bar and, 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 and push-up bars. I'm talking squat racks, benches, you know, like, like you walk into this gym, this is not an LA fitness where like, this is a dirty, hot or very cold type of gym, you know, and and like you you go in there and you, you get your workout in. Okay. Now I think police departments should offer uh, fitness incentive pay, right? Like uh, NYPD police officer get a uniform allowance. So I think thousand dollars a year. Okay. For them to upkeep their uniform. Okay. And that upkeep shouldn't be that, that upkeep, uh, that money should not be spent on taking out your pants every year. Right. Another inch. Right. (laughs) Uh, you should be, uh, so similar, similar, um, to that, I think police departments should offer fitness incentive pay. And there are all, there are departments that do that. There are small departments in Connecticut that do it. It's just very difficult with huge departments like NYPD because you have, you have so many officers. I mean, it, it would be such a big uh, tax hit yeah. right, to the taxpayers of New York City and New York State that um, it, 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 would, it would be hard to implement. But I think absolutely officers should be in, in shape, you know, because remember, when you're running after someone, you're running with an extra 20 pounds with your gun belt and your and your body armor, right? Um, maybe you have a hat on too. Like this is, it's not, when you're wearing boots, you're not wearing yeah. running shoes. So <laughs> I think you should be in shape. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, what about, um, I completely agree. You know, what about, you know, proper training, like moving forward, like keeping certifications, you know, I mean, I know most departments require someone to, you know, get stay certified, you know, and shoot at the range maybe once a year, but like being in situations like, like you were mentioning earlier, like dealing with uh, mentally disturbed people, you know, being put in the, in these psychological training, maybe because I feel like that a lot of people, um, you know, may have dealings with PTSD or going into like, there's a lot of people that come straight from the military to being a law, law enforcement officer dealing with those things. And I feel like that there's a huge gap there to where, people aren't, you know, maybe not looked after as much and they're just kind of thrown into the mix of it. And there's not that ongoing, like maybe if you want to call it CEUs, you know, like continuing education um, for officers and, you know, getting them prepared and dealing with certain scenarios where they may not be, you know, fluent in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, I can't speak for other departments and I, I, I can't really speak for the NYPD as it is today. I can speak as to how the NYPD was when I was there from 2011 to 2018. Okay. You qualify at the range twice a year. Yeah. Okay. You, you, you have to shoot, um, you shoot 50 rounds and I think you have to make, I forgot how many you have to make. I think it's, it's like you have to make at least 39 of them in like this gray area. Okay. So, um, you do do that twice a year. There's also trainings. It's called intact training, like uh, tactical training, and you you participate in those. So I, you know, I participated in those trainings, and qualifying at the range for twice a year is not an option. You have to do it. <laughs> it's just, or you, they take your gun away. If 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 you fail, they take your gun away, and then you have to requalify. You know, you sit at a desk for two weeks, and you go until you can go back and shoot again. So. Um, I think all these trainings should be offered because these are, you know, what I would call preemptive measures, 
right? You can spend money training officers so that you're spending less money and paying out in lawsuits down the road. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, what, what about the, um, the mental, like dealing with the, the mental aspect of it, not necessarily just, you know, just firearms. Um, I, you know, I took part in, uh, this EDP training when I was in police academy, I, I, I remember, and it, it's very hard dealing with emotions or persons. I've been in a situation where they just wanted to fight me Yeah, and I had to talk them down from it because uh, look, could, could I could I fight the person and, and call for backup and then four cops, I can take them down with four cops or take them on my own, depending on the size of the person, right? Um, sure, I could do that, but it, it, what's that going to do? You know, it's, he's not, he's going to end up, it's possible, well, he's going to require medical attention. He may require medical attention. Um, uh, it, it doesn't solve the larger problem, problem right? He's going to be in jail, spend overnight. It's not going to help his mental health. Yeah. His or her mental health. You know, I'm just using his because right. that's that's what I normally dealt with. I, mo- I mainly dealt with men that were emotionally disturbed. Um, and it, it's, it's just that's not a solution. So a solution is proper training and, and learning de-escalation techniques. Right. Which is I often have to do that in the office with my divorce clients. <laughs> and they're very emotional. That's what I yeah. want to talk about next. That's like a whole nother thing, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, that's why being a divorce lawyer, I have the, the unique background training helps me, especially dealing with clients. Uh, you have to have a lot of empathy. You have to have a lot of sympathy. And honestly, it's a learning experience for me because I learn from their relationships. Right. I, I, I mean, I'm doing, I just did a two month long custody trial and I just wrapped up a financial trial today. Actually, <laughs> we wrapped around six uh, and, you know, these things like they, they, they show me the insights into relationships, what happens, why relationships go sour, who should have prenups, who shouldn't have prenups, um, you know, what it takes to actually raise children, um, you know, and for, which is like, you truly need two parents. You really need a partnership there to, to at least in New York city to, you know, raise a child. Um, so, you know, as a, as a divorce lawyer, the NYPD experience is just priceless to me. Yeah, I, I bet so. So what's been the, uh, I guess, so you've been practicing now a few years. So what's been the the most eye-opening thing you've seen, you know, working on family law for you, like, you know, personally, maybe? Um, that having children and raising children are, is not easy. Man. <laughs> yeah. Not everyone is meant to be a parent, you know? Yeah. I think we're all very, we're all, um, uh, we subscribe to the default, right? Like, uh, well, we're supposed to get married. We're supposed to have kids. We're supposed to have a family and we're supposed to raise children and make our parents, grandparents and all that. And for someone, you know, people listening, I want all that, right? I do. People always say like, you probably never want to be married. <laughs> it's, not, it's not exactly true. Um, I would probably have probably get a prenup, right? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, it's it can be very rewarding. My parents have been married for a very long time. Most of my family is, is married. Um, and actually, all of them actually are married. I'm also, I come from a different culture as well. So that has a, has a, a big impact on it. 
Um, but yeah, I, learning about children dynamics and uh, communication issues in relationships is what what uh, what I'm learning the most at, with my practice. Yeah, I mean, and so like in the empathy side of that too, like for for what the you know what the kids are dealing with and the in between the battle is always like the the most crazy thing, right? It's like the most. It could be, I mean, the parents using the kids against each other and all, dude, it's just so crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah, that always happens. The children yeah. become uh, become pawns, right, yeah. in, in a divorce. And we always try our best not to let that happen. Now, you know, I can control my client, right? I can't control another, some, the other side. Right. I can talk to their lawyer to get their client under control, but I can only do um, what's on my side, right? And I have, I have some very difficult clients and look, I tell them, I said, I always tell them like, look, there's, there's only one captain of the ship and that's me. So if you want to run your own case, you're going to run it with another lawyer. And my, my clients, they stick by me that, you know, they don't leave me because they, I laid on the law, but I also, they know I'm there for them. I have clients texting me at midnight. I have clients texting me Saturday afternoon. I have clients texting me Saturday night and, you know, there are times I respond immediately if it requires immediate attention. Other times I'm like, you know, it can wait. Saturday night is my time. Yeah. You know, I'm getting ready for a date or maybe, maybe I'm going out with my friends or maybe I'm on vacation. But I, I, I make myself maybe too available to my clients. But look, they like it. Um, I'm a young attorney. Right. And I have I have to build a name for myself. So availability is one of the things that I can offer. I don't have a family. I don't have kids. I'm not married. I live alone. Um, so when, when I do have a family, when I do have kids, I know my availability is going to shrink. So right now I'm, I, I do as much as I can. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I commend that. So what's your, what's the next thing for you? Like, what are you looking towards? What are you wanting to do? I mean, you're, you're already successful and doing very well, but I mean, I, you seem like a guy kind of like me where I'm always looking for the next thing to add into the pile of all the shit I have going on. So yeah. like, what you looking for? Uh, I, I can't really disclose it right now. Okay. But I, I will just say, because I don't know who's going to listen to this. I will just say that my firm's going to have a presence in another state very soon. Gotcha. Okay. Because of something that I'm doing. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to that. In terms of like the next thing, you know, I'm also a real estate investor. I want to buy more real estate. Uh, my two closest friends are also my business partners in my real estate company. So that's an, a dynamic in and of itself, right? We went to college together. We're boys together. We go on vacations together. We've we've gone through breakups together, right? We've we've um, we 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 found uh, love and lost love together. You know, we're always there for each other, but we're also um, great business folks. Yeah. And uh, so that's another thing that I have going. I want to I want to grow like that side of it and. I don't know. Maybe down the road, I would, would want to do some sort of life coaching when I have enough life experience. Yeah, Dude, <laughs> right that's, funny. that's a good. That's a good point too. There's so many people that do coaching that don't have any damn experience, man. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I think at, at, I'm 32, so at 32, Me too. I don't know how am I supposed to coach someone who's 50, right? Exactly. Um, but maybe by the time I'm 50, I'll have I'll have a lot of life life experience. But I mean, look, my long my much my long term goal, okay, is to be a U.S. Senator. Okay. So that's why I pile on the real estate so I can have some wealth. If you look at U.S. Senators, <laughs> they are, they are the, one of the most wealthiest folks in the country. Yeah. And they didn't make their wealth, and most of them, okay, 
did not make their wealth in politics. No. They come from wealth. So my goal, my long-term goal is to be a U.S. senator. I don't know what state, but that's... that's hey, I mean, we'll I see. mean, look what you've done so far, man. It hasn't been that long. You've already done all this. I have no doubt you could do that for sure. You said, um, you know, and you said this earlier, but so you're into health and fitness. Um, we'll just spin off over here real quick. So what do you, what type of workouts do you do? What kind of diet are you on? Are you on like, you know, are we doing like carb cycling, keto, low carb? Do you just eat whatever you want and just work out hard? Where are you at on that? Um, I work out pretty hard. I working out is the first thing I do. I would say like five out of the seven days a week. Okay. Um, in the summertime, it's more consistent in the summer, like five, six days a week, uh, heavy lifting, uh, diet, usually carb cycling is what I do. I don't do hard diets like keto, yeah. low carb. Look, uh, you know, I rather work out harder and speed up my metabolism than restrict myself from eating. Yeah. Right. The only things that I do restrict myself are is dairy because I'm lactose intolerant. It's just not enjoyable for me to have dairy. Yeah. Um, so that 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 helps a lot. Um, I stay generally stay away from refined carbohydrates. So my carbs are usually coming from like rice, um, sweet potatoes. Of course, I have my bagel a couple of times a week. If I want to have a bagel, I'll have a bagel. If I'm out to dinner and I want to have tiramisu for dessert, I'll have tiramisu for dessert. You know, I don't restrict myself like that. Yeah. Or there's sometimes it's a Wednesday afternoon. And I've had a rough day and I, all of a sudden I'm craving pizza yeah. and I'll go out and get myself a slice of pizza. You know, like I don't restrict myself, but I, I would say 90% of my diet is pretty clean. Okay. Especially during the week, like Monday through Friday even Sunday, you're not going to find me eating junk food. It is, I'm going to tell you a very simple concept if you want to stay in shape, okay? It's, it's, it's the most simplest thing that people don't think of. Don't eat anything that has an ingredient label. There you go. That's it. That's all you need to agree. do. I completely agree. If it walks or grows, eat it. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> no, there are, there are some things that like I eat right. oats. I yeah. eat plant-based protein powder, yeah. but those are the... Five, six out of the out of, out of five, six days out of the week, those are the probably only two things that I'm eating that that has an ingredient label. Yeah. It's just my it's just my lifestyle. I don't, it's not even a diet, you know. I don't I'm not one of those guys that craves, wakes up, you know, uh, I that I want some bacon against cheese, salt, pepper, ketchup, you know, that are that's on the corner newsstand looking for that. You know, it's just not me. Um, but it's it's a lifestyle for me. That's why, but that's how you you maintain your yeah. fitness, right? Well, so, and that's how I was growing up until I was like 18. I finally started transitioning and, you know, kind of figuring out what I wanted to do with myself and, you know, paying attention to those things. But before that, I didn't know any better, you know, until I become more aware and body aware. But I think that it's great you said that because I'm the same way, man. I'm carb cycling. Um, I go a little heavier, like 150, 200 grams of carbs a day. If, if I'm like going to work at, I do a lot of CrossFit now, but, you know, no matter what workout I'm doing, if I'm going to work out hard, then. I'm going to make sure my carbs are up that day. And then the days I know I'm not going to work out, then I'll, you know, I'll lower them, but I'm still having some. And it's, it's just like you said, I mean, the less ingredients, the better, because those are the, I mean, those are the things like, that's the problem, man. I mean, like half of our country's obese, you know what I mean? Yeah. My, yeah. I think even more than that is <laughs> yeah. obese. Yeah. Um, yeah. You really have to take care of yourself because you know, if, if you, if the more you take care of yourself, the more you're going to feel good and the better you feel, the better you're going to look. And you don't have to have a six pack to, to look good. You really yeah. don't. Yeah. 
you know, as long as you're feeling good about yourself and getting your blood flowing and you're moving, uh, you know, the clothes are going to start fitting and, and people are going to notice you. People are going to notice, you know, they, they trust me when you, you know, when you're out on a beach or a pool and you have a six pack, people notice because yeah. maybe one other person has, has a six pack on that yeah. beach. You know? yeah. So like they're, they're, you know, people like, and I'm not saying you should do it for external validation to get people to notice. You, you should always do it for yourself. But look, if you're like a single guy or a single girl, right. And like what, what, and you're going on dates, what do you want? You want the other person to find you attractive and, and how are they going to find you attractive? You take care of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, so many people, you know, and you, so many people get, you know, get, complacent and they just let themselves go mentally, physically. And that was my next question is like, do you think that um, your success and what all you've done in the past few years is, you know, do you think that living a healthy lifestyle, like has a big attribution, like something it's led to that, you know, you think that plays a big part, like your mental state and things like that? Uh, Absolutely. You know, your look, taking care of yourself requires a lot of discipline. Yeah. Okay. So that discipline translates into different areas of your life. Um, one of my favorite books is called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Wilnick. Oh, and, I love Jocko. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he wrote another book. It's called Discipline Equals Freedom. I haven't read it yet. But it's actually true. The more discipline you, you know, discipline also comes from making promises, keeping promises that you make to yourself, right? So, for example, I'm doing something right now that's going to conclude uh, at the end of February, Okay. And one of my new New Year's resolutions was that I am not going to smoke a cigar until <laughs> this is done. Right? It's a promise yeah. that I'm keeping yeah. to myself because I I like smoking cigars. I'll smoke a cigar like at least once a week, and like I'll walk around the neighborhood. And I'll smoke I smoke a fucking cigar if I want to smoke a cigar. You know, like you know, I don't care. People walk around smoking cigarettes. I can smoke a cigar. Right. Yeah. So that's like that's an example, right? So that's a promise that I said I'm going to keep to myself. Now, the goal that I'm trying to get it's it's like. It's like the you know the carrot at the end of the stick, right? Like like all right, if I one, once I do this, I can have that. Stick. <laughs> yeah. So you got to keep promises to yourself, and that that's how you develop habits, and that's how you develop discipline. And you'll most people will see you are going to be so much happier with yourself because of you're, you'll be proud of yourself as as to, you know what you're doing. Yeah, it's so cliche, man. We have these discussions. I've had these discussions with you know people on the podcast, you know, from multiple different backgrounds, and everyone I always talk to. I bring these you know these things up, especially if I know they're health of, you know, into health and fitness. And if they're not, then maybe they're into, uh, you know, mental health, you know? And yeah. you know, the thing is, is like, it's always a simple, like, it's always a simple solution, right? It's like you, you treat yourself better and you're going to have a better outcome. But if for some reason we make it so hard on ourselves, it's like, we cannot hold ourselves accountable. And that's like the biggest downfall I think for humanity is like, we have the hardest time holding ourselves accountable for things that we we should be doing or things that we said we were going to do, you know, yeah, it's very hard. That's why, you know, there's, there's a lot of coaches that will recommend you having an accountability coach or an yeah. accountability partner. And I've never had one. Maybe I should. And I, I, you know, it's, it's not something that, uh, that I, I would not recommend to someone. I think if that's what it takes for you, then that's what it takes for you. Then do it. Yeah. You know, who am I to judge? You know, that's, you know, I, I don't, I try not to judge anyone really. You know, I mean, we all have our own struggles. We all have our own needs. We all have different backgrounds and our own experiences. So whatever it takes for you to get done the task that you're trying to complete, 
just do it, you know, do whatever it takes. Yeah. It's, it's literally always that simple of an answer, but for some reason, everyone makes it so fucking hard. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's really, it's not that complicated. You know, huh. you, if you put in the work, uh, you put in the time, the results will come. If, well, let me ask you a few, a few other questions before we wrap up. I know you got to go here in a few. So any advice for people who are currently in law enforcement that may be facing some hard times, either struggles within you know, their department, struggles mentally, any advice for them? Yeah, I mean, look, and there's a the law enforcement has a has a interesting mentality that I don't subscribe to. OK, which is. 15 more years till I get my pension, yeah. 12 more years till I get my pension, 10 more years before I can move down to Tampa and, and do this and do that. Look, this is, uh, that's your job. Yeah. It's your lifestyle. It's not a jail sentence. Okay. That you're counting down. Okay. So one, if you, if you're a police officer and you have that mentality, you have to, you can acknowledge it, right? Like, yeah, you know, I, I can, when I'm 45, I can take half my pay and go down and do whatever I want. That's great. Look, it's fabulous. Okay. However, that is not the mentality you want to carry on a day-to-day basis into your job, which is what a lot of police officers do. And they shouldn't do it because how are you going to enjoy the job? Because you're counting down uh, to the end every day. Right. Yeah. And then a, a lot of them, um, don't even outlive their, their lifetime pension because they, they haven't taken, taken care of their health, men, mental and physical health throughout uh, their career. Okay. And a lot of them are, they don't have anything else lined up after. There's no plan after. So what I'm going to do. So what happens is, is your, and I was only there for seven years, your identity gets associated with your job. Yeah. Okay. And when you leave that job, you lose your identity in your mind. And when you lose your identity is that's when you see cops, especially retired ones struggle with, with mental health. And a lot of them commit suicide because they don't know what else to do. Right. I'm not saying that's the only reason they commit suicide. So I don't want, I don't want to be misquoted. You know, I I work at a well-known firm in Manhattan. So I don't, I don't want people coming after me with this, but I'm just saying you don't, overly attach your identity to your job because that job is going to come to an end at some point. Okay. Um, even if you say I'm not retiring, I'm not counting down in the NYPD, you have to retire before your 63rd birthday. Okay. And people, you know, if there, I, I knew someone who, who was a chief and retired at 62, right before the 63rd birthday, he was forced out. And, um, I, he or someone close to him committed suicide like a, a, a couple months later. Yeah. And that pension was, don't even get me started how much that pension would have been for him, but it just goes to show that don't, don't associate your menta- your identity with your job. Just, you know, find other meaning in life. You have family, you have friends. And before you leave, definitely have a plan because for, for, you know, retiring at 45, 50, 55 years old, Today, with life expectancy well into the 80s and 90s, you know, one of my law firm partners, you know, she's up there and um, you retire at 50 or 55. What are you going to do for the next 30 yeah, years? Exactly. You can only drink so many margaritas, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to have a plan. 
Yeah, no, I think that's completely, yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head because it's like, I mean, you, you see the same thing in military, um, you know, the, especially, you know, people who serve, you know, multiple years, not, you know, not just one four year, but basically keep going and, you know, serve more than they want to, or I mean, more than most of, the, you know, just the bare minimum. And then they get attached to that and then they finally get out of it or maybe they're deployed for, you know, four deployments or something. They come back home and they're just detached and they don't know what to do with themselves because that's become their life, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, 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 um, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, it's, it, there's more, you know, life is about uh, thriving, not surviving, right? Yeah. Everyone's, everyone, we all just want to survive. A lot of us, you know, live paycheck to paycheck and it's hard. Look, I'm not saying it's easy, um, but, you know, at least in, in, a, in, a, in a place like New York City, man, if you don't work hard and you're not grinding, it's going to be very hard for you to thrive. You're, you're, you'll be surviving. That's it. That's all, yeah. that's all it's going to be. And yeah. not everyone's fortunate enough to have opportunities and um at least some of the opportunities that i've had but i was walking around a foot post you know 10 years ago seven years ago in 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 bed and and now you know i i have i have a law firm yeah right so it can be the point is it can be done you just have to be willing to to put in the work <laughs> yeah uh and, you know, whatever it is people that people want to do and decide to do, they have to make sure there's some meaning behind it, right? They have to know their why. Because if you don't know why you're doing something, the motivation is going to dry out. I completely agree. I mean, if you're just doing it, especially if you're doing it, if you're not doing it for yourself, right? You know, because it's quickly going to fade out. You know, if you may have made that decision because your parents wanted you to do it or a spouse yeah. wanted you to do it, that motivation is going to dry out real quick. Yeah, it you know, I, and I, I find that those type of um, artificial motivations or, or I would say misguided motivations a lot in also relationships where, um, you know, I've, I've dealt with some clients who like are ready for the next partner and like they're like, you know, like, oh, you know, once I have her, yeah. I'll feel better. Once I have him, I'll feel better. I'm like, well, you're waiting this whole time for someone else to complete you, mm -hmm. right? And um, you may not even when you get them, it's not going to be enough because you haven't made peace to your, with yourself. Okay. Make peace with yourself first and then have a partner, right? Because a partner is not supposed to complete you. They're supposed to just add, they're supposed to add to your life and right. you're supposed to add to their life because what's a relationship? Relationship is about giving. Okay. It's not about taking. And when you get into a relationship, you, you're supposed to give to the other person. Now they're also supposed to give to you. And you can determine after a while whether what they're giving you is not enough for you and whether a conversation would change that, right? Because communication is key because if, if you don't communicate, then you can't comprehend, right? So communication, comprehension, those, those two, um, they're key in, in relationships. So, you know, you can't have misguided motivations going into um, work, career, relationships. You have to really ask yourself, what is it that, um, why am I doing this? And what is it that I'm actually looking to accomplish here? Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, I mean, it's really that simple, man. I mean, it really is. You have any, um, do you have any advice on people who may be, you know, coming out of law school, seeking out some type of practice, trying to decide what they want to practice. So they don't figure that out during law school, you know, like do you have any advice for them? Yes. Fucking call me and I'll <laughs> tell you exactly what it is and, and what, and what, and what direction to go. 
uh, I went to Brooklyn Law School, like I mentioned earlier. So I have current students, they'll find me and they'll email me wanting to chat. And I never, ever say no. Yeah. And I always tell them, I was like, you know what? It's like, uh, here's my cell phone, text me. Uh, over the weekend and we'll set up a time or, you know, and we'll, and we'll do a casual call. I don't, I don't need to have, I don't need to bring you in, have a coffee with you, you know, make it all formal. Like I'm going to tell you how it is and whether I think you're headed in the right path, that's going to make you happy based on what you tell me. Right. Yeah. If you tell me um, you don't like going to court and you don't want to be a litigator, you want, you want to, um, you want to do deals and you want to be a transaction attorney. And then you tell me you're going to work for the DA's office. I'm like, well, that, that's that's not the right <laughs> move, right? So, um, you, you know, aspiring law students, uh, make sure you want to be a lawyer because it's. I don't know if you watch the show Suits. Yeah, it's uh, a great show. <laughs> it's a great show, but it's but just it's not, not. It's real. not real. <laughs> you know, of course, I want to be like Hell yeah. Spectre, right? Hell I always yeah, say, you know, I I want to be like him, and and I want to I. I want the custom suits and I, I want the, the high power image and all that. Of course, every, but it, that's not what the law is. No. It, it's, it's dry. It's reading, it's writing, it's dealing with clients and their issues. Um, there are fun times. Like I like trials, right? I like putting on the show, it, being on stage and, 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 uh, and, and take and handling those things. Right. I had a case at my firm where it wasn't even my case. And all of a sudden it's going to trial. So the partner brought me in like, you're going to try, you have to try this case. <laughs> yeah. Give it to me. Yeah. You know, the day before, give it to me. I'll, we'll figure it out together. Um, so you really have to know what kind of law you want to practice and what kind of lawyer you want to be. I mean, yeah, that's simple enough. You just got, I mean, just figuring out those things. I think that's the most important thing, like you said, because a lot of people may take opportunities that are given to them, but it may not align with what their goals are or their aspirations or whatever they're, you know, motivated by, and they, then they end up in a situation to where they hate what they're doing, but they work so hard, so long to get there, you know? Yeah. And then it's the, you know, a lot of them do it for the money. Yeah. And that's not, that's not a smart way of going about it. The money is a byproduct of your skills. Okay. Um, so there are, you know, like there are um, corporate lawyers. I have friends that are corporate lawyers that make a lot of money, you know, so, no one of them making is making a little over half a million dollars. And uh, I don't know. Really, I've never seen them happy. Yeah. You know, so, but am I saying all corporate lawyers or lawyers at big firms are not happy? I don't know. Maybe a lot of them will say we're not happy, but um, <laughs> I think, I think again, it's going down into the right motivation, you know, go yeah. into the right motivation. If you enjoy it and then the money is a byproduct of your success. And, and the skills you're developing. But if you're just doing it for that paycheck, it'll never, ever be enough. I couldn't agree more. And I think that transitions not only in your field, but in every field. You know what I mean? If you look at it in, in the big, you know, broad perspective of everything is if you're not enjoying it, you know, it's never going to really make yourself feel fulfilled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah. Well, uh, dude, I know you're, you're about out of time. Uh, let's wrap this thing up. You have any last words, anything, you know, any, shout outs any plugs anything you want to mention anything we didn't cover um <laughs> you know there's something that i was thinking of that we uh that i wanted to cover because again i don't for whoever, real quick. whoever's listening um this was entirely unscripted you know uh so you know i'm, I'm very spiritual okay and uh 
I don't know if you if you know about if you know what ayahuasca is. Oh fuck yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I've done ayahuasca. What? Okay, so I haven't yet. I want to, but I'm scared shitless that I may have you some demons be. that I don't want to be released. Man. You should be scared shitless. <laughs> you should be totally. Oh. Scared. I've done it six times. Damn. Um, well, when I go, I, I've been on two retreats, and when you go on a retreat, you do it three times. Okay. Um, and each experience is different. It's unique, but. If you want a very, prof- it's a, in my opinion, it's the most profound experience you can give yourself. Okay. The insights and the downloads you're going to get are just unreal and they're just unbelievable. It, it, you know, I read an article that says it's like doing ther- uh, 10 years of therapy in a weekend. Yeah. It really is. Now, it's not, um, you know, uh, in trial, I, I always say, uh, tell my clients, you know, when they're up for cross-examination, I said, and I'm training them I'm for cross-examination and they're getting pissed at me. They call me a robot. They're saying, you, you know, you're not being nice. I'm like, listen, this is cross-examination. This is not a picnic in Central Park. Okay. This is not going to be pleasant for you. So ayahuasca is not a picnic in Central Park. Yeah. It's not going to be pleasant. Okay. Um, but the, especially when you're in it, right? But after when it wears off the next day, the week after, the weeks after, the months after, you're going to realize uh, how beneficial that experience was for you. And uh, depending on where you go, it's the music controls the energy. So the more intense the music is, the, the, the more, the deeper experience you're going to have. And it's not like, you know, alcohol, where you know you're drunk, and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to go home. I'm going to go to sleep and forget about this. It will not let you sleep. Ayahuasca will not <laughs> let you sleep. So, you know, and I'm look, I'm fortunate. I didn't have um, like a traumatic childhood or anything like that. Yeah. You know, I did it for my own reasons. A lot of it I did it for um, like also career reasons. And I was like, I want to be the best that I can be in my career. And as also as a, as a son, as a brother, and as like a potential partner. So I did it for like those reasons. I didn't have like these childhood demons that I'm trying to, um, to get rid of or to, trying to face. And I know a lot of people have them, right? And when I, when I went on the first ceremony, I met people like that. And I judged them because I'm like, oh, look at, look at that person. Look at that person, mm-hmm. right? And after, at the end of that weekend, I was hugging everybody. Yeah. It made me realize like what kind of, what kind of a douche I was being. Yeah. Um, So that was like, that was one of the beneficial experiences that I had with ayahuasca. And um, I'm not going to do it anytime soon again. Um, But, you know, when the, if, and when the calling comes, I would do it again. Uh, And I recommend it. I really definitely want to try it. Um, You know, if you have the courage there's yeah. a place in, in, in Florida, not too far from That's there. what I was going to ask you next, where you, where you did it at, because there's so many, it's, you're so limited to where you can go and do this right now too, you know? I, I, I didn't, I didn't soul quest in Florida. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, like that and DMT, like those are two things that, you know, I want to look into, you know, just for yeah. so, so, not so much that there's nothing that I feel like I'm dealing with, but just like you said, if there's anything subconsciously in there keeping me from my highest potential, I want to figure that shit out. Right. You know? Yeah, you should. And the sooner you figure out the better. Yeah. Um, uh, and look, I, I'm not a person who's ever done any hard drugs ever. I was a police officer. I'll get drug tested. Yeah. I couldn't do hard drugs. Yeah. Okay. I smoke weed. That's about it. Yeah. And, and never done LSD, shrooms, any of that. And like, I know people that have done it that have not done ayahuasca. I said, you know, 
when you're done with your minor league plant medicine, <laughs> come to the major leagues and do ayahuasca. There's, yeah. there's another one that I actually want to do. It's called Iboga. Yeah. And the comparison um, at my last ayahuasca retreat, someone told me who was doing Iboga the following month. He said, ayahuasca is like the gentle mother. I, I don't know why he would say gentle. It's not gentle. <laughs> but Iboga is like the stern stepfather. Okay. And, um, and Iboga is also a very expensive retreat to go on. I would do, I don't know whether, like when I would do it, but it's something that, you know, that I, I'm, I've always like thought about. I'm like, yeah, this is something I would do, you know? And, um, you know, if you decide to do it, go alone, yeah. make new friends there. I have, I make friends there. There's um, like, we follow each other on Instagram. People are warm. They're loving. Uh, you, you just come out a different person. Now it's really up to you to maintain that, you know, to, to uh, not maintain, sorry, integrate what, what you learned. I mean, there was, I had one ceremony. I, it was like a day ceremony. It's, it's very chill. I asked like one of the facilitators, I said, I need a pen and paper. Cause I was getting so many downloads that I, was, I, I started writing stuff down in the middle of the ceremony as I'm hallucinating. <laughs> but it's something I look back to now. Yeah. You know, and look for me personally, it's made, like I said, it's made me a better son, made me a better, um, I think made me a better person, better at work. Um, it certainly helped me tremendous, tremendously in my career, yeah. just with the amount of empathy and uh, sympathy that I, I have for my clients now. I mean, it's opened me up tremendously. So um, if it's helped me, I think it could help you, not you as in the audience, you know, yeah. whoever's listening, um, but you have to see it through. You can't, you can't go away for like a week or a weekend where you're supposed to do three ceremonies and you do one and you, you quit and you go home. And look, some people that are listening and that do this will leave after the first ceremony because it's just too traumatic. Yeah. But if you actually, if you're able to hold it and see the entire week through or entire weekend through, it'll be, it'll be worth it at the end. I promise you. There's but again, I'm not in, you know, it's, it's something I recommend. I'm not saying, I don't know how um, the legality. It's like, not legal advice. Yeah. I, I don't know legal. what it is here. I'm, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. It's not, yeah. You know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not medical advice, legal advice, Yeah, you know, it's spiritual advice. You want to, you want to have a spiritual experience that in which you're going to cry a lot and, and puke a lot. Go do ayahuasca. <laughs> I've, I've had that conversation with multiple people and every single person that I've talked to that's seen it through said the same thing you said. It's basically the first the first night is horrible <laughs> and the next session's a little bit better. And by the last one, you're just completely rid of everything negative, basically. Yeah, because um, and, you know, you and I can like text about it like off air, but you it's the music that controls the energy. Yeah. So the first night is always the roughest. It's it's. Dude, the last time I was there, I was I was in so much pain. I, I and like, look, you're um, you're con you're aware of what you're going through, right? Even though you're in a different dimension, like they say, if you want, if you feel like you're really out there, like get on all fours and put put your palms to the earth, like touch earth, Mother Earth, and it grounds you. And that's what it did. And I did that a few times. I said, "Fuck this." This whole thing's a jerk off. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. I'm never doing this again. And the next day I was so petrified because it's not that I was like, I was having like these terrible hallucinations where I'm like, you know, picturing horrible things happened to me. It wasn't like that at all. It was just the amount of pain I was in because it makes you, it makes you vomit. 
Mm-hmm. And, and when you fight it, when you fight the experiences aren't trying to give you, it, the pain gets worse. So they say you have to let go and totally just surrender to the medicine. And once you surrender, that's when the experience gets better. Gotcha. I mean, and like you're, you're hallucinating and you have someone guiding you. Look, it could be your mom. It could be your ex. It could be your girlfriend. It could be your wife. It could be your dad. My last experience, my person that was guiding me was Tony Soprano. So <laughs> I could never top that experience. It's my favorite show on television. I think he's the greatest TV character ever. So I had Tony guiding me through my ayahuasca experience. That's all I need. Yeah. You know, I oh, was yeah. complete there. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, dude, no, that's, I, I think it's awesome. You brought that up and, and thanks for bringing it up too, because I think that's something that uh, we haven't got to talk about a lot on the podcast, but I've had conversations about this with multiple people. It's something I'm definitely going to do and I've been looking into and I definitely want to do within the next year. Um, because I think like you said, it's just going to make you a better person and, you know, kind of just neutralize all that negativity and get it out of there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I recommend it, you know, read about it. Um, there's a, a documentary on Netflix called Unwell. It's like a series. I think the, one of the episodes is about Soul Quest in Florida. Um, it's not a pleasant episode to watch, but you know, you educate yourself on it before you um, before you decide to get yourself into something that you know may be a little too much for you. You know, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely educate yourself before doing it, and uh, and I, you won't regret it. I'll put it that way. Okay? Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad you brought it up too. Well, look, man. It's been a great time today. Um, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed it, and I'll definitely be releasing this episode soon. All right, man. You got it. Thanks for having me. All right, man.